Well, good morning, everyone. I had a gentleman a few minutes ago, before the service started, come up and want to examine my ears rather closely, and I thought, this is strange. And then he explained why. He said, if I see you around town, I want to be able to recognize you. I went, I get it. That's, that's not a bad idea. As I look out, I see ears, some eyes, a few heads. But we're gathered here to worship the Lord, and it is great to see you. Whether it's in person or online, not that I can see you if you're online, but still, it's awesome to have you in worship this morning. And I know there's a lot of weight on this service. I know there's a vote coming up. I know that you're considering some Yahoo as a potential pastor. Be that as it may, we're still here to worship the Lord and to hear from his word, are we not? We've been led in beautiful worship this morning. Uh, the music was wonderful. It was led well. I mean, it was, it was, this was great. And I'm glad to be a part of it this morning. But I want us to also spend a little bit of time in God's Word. And I, I'm, I noticed that you guys have a digital clock back there that just blares out in, in red. I'm not sure if there's any significance to that. Numbers what time it is to remind whoever's up here of, of when to finish up. And well, let's just say I'm reminded of a story that I heard years ago about a young boy who invited a friend of his to church with him, and the friend had never been to church before. So he goes to church with his buddy, and, and they're sitting there, and the service starts, and the, the music leader does this with his hands, and everybody stands up, and the friend's leaning over going, what's that mean? It means stand up. Okay. At a certain point in the service, they reach that point where they pray, and People start bowing, and the boy says, what's that mean? He says, it means we're going to pray now. We're going to talk to God. Bow your head. Okay. And then there's the be seated, and all this goes on, the past, the offering plate, everything else. Eventually, you get to the message time, and the pastor walks up and takes off his watch and lays it on the podium in front of him, and the friend leans over and says to the other one, what's that mean? And he says, oh, nothing. I will be mindful of the time this morning. I know in this world we live in, we have constraints and we have to disinfect the room before the next service and some things like that. So don't worry, this won't go long. It will just seem it. So just so you know. No. I want to invite you to look at a passage of scripture with me. Actually, two passages, but we'll start in one place, finish up there and move to the second one so you can kind of follow along. Matthew chapter 28. Many of you may know these verses. They're familiar verses, or they should be familiar verses with you if you've spent much time in church life. Let me set the stage a little bit. As Jesus has already been resurrected, he's been visiting the disciples, been, been seen for 40 days at this point. Now he's at the point where he has gathered his core group of disciples and he is preparing to ascend into heaven. This is that ascension that we have been waiting on the return from ever since. Before he leaves, he gives parting words to the disciples. Now, parting words are kind of significant, aren't they? Maybe if we're just parting company for a short period of time, but, but those last words that someone speaks to us, that can often be a, a life-changing 
type of interaction. I'm reminded, I, I like some classic movies, and uh, well, do you all remember Citizen Kane? Some of you do, some of you don't. If you don't, just look it up on Wikipedia, get the summary. But a man's dying words, or dying word, Rosebud, drives this reporter to investigate, to figure out. It's his last words. It had to mean something. It had to, do you want me to spoil the movie for you? It was the name of his sled when he was a kid, okay? It's not, not a big deal. But there's this, oh, it's got to be important. It was like, well, this is important. The last thing Jesus said to his followers on earth before ascending into heaven, before telling them, wait for me, or actually after telling them, wait for me because I'm going to send my spirit and it's going to empower you. So here we are in Luke 28. What does Jesus say to them at this all-important juncture? Well, we find these words. I'm going to start in verse 18. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, before we go any further, let's unpack what that means. This is Jesus saying, Look, I am about to give you an order. And I have all the authority on earth to give you this order. I have every right to give you this order. I have every legitimate reason to give you this order. I have every authority and power to give you this order. But not just in an earthly sense. I have this same right, power, and authority in a heavenly sense. These guys had been following Jesus around as their rabbi. They were his disciples. In the first century world, that meant something. If you wanted to follow someone as their disciple, you had to essentially petition them. And they had to deem you fit to be one of their underlings. Because a rabbi, their reputation could be shaped by those disciples that followed. And if accepted, those disciples had a job. They had to spend all their available time with the rabbi. And I mean like give up their day job, follow the rabbi. They had to go where he went. They had to do what he did. They had to learn to see the world the way he saw the world. And to behave the way he behaved. That's the job of a disciple. And if a rabbi said to a disciple, do this, it wasn't, well, you know, I'm not sure I want to do that. It was the disciple's job to do it. Here, their rabbi, who was so much more than that, was telling them, I have the authority to give you the command I'm about to give you. So there's a lot of weight to this command. Last thing he says, he reminds them of his authority and the, the legitimacy of the command. Now let's see what that command is. Because this is a command that not only applied to those disciples as they were gathered there preparing to watch Jesus ascend into heaven, this is a command that applies to all of us. All who know Christ as Savior and Lord should be his disciples. We should be followers of Christ. Maybe we even need to change our terminology a little bit. It seems like over the years the word Christian has kind of become corrupted. 
I, if you go back, it originally started as one of those phrases or, or terms that was used in a derogatory fashion. When Scripture tells us that in Antioch they were first called Christians, it meant little Jesuses, little Christs, and it was a mocking term that the Christians took on and claimed. And yet in today's modern world, so many people will stand up and say, I'm a Christian, but they have no idea who Jesus is. I'm a Christian, but they don't follow the Savior. I think maybe it's more accurate to say we want to be Christ followers. Now, if you say Christian, you're still okay. But what is a Christian? One who follows Christ. We need to be his followers. Well, he's about to give this statement, this command to all of his followers. What is it? Verse 19, therefore go. How often do we stop there? Therefore go. Literally translated, this would read, therefore as you are going. There's an assumption there that we are going to be going out. We are going to be interacting with folks. We are going to be living our lives in this world. There's something we need to be doing while we live our lives in this world. What is it? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That's a tall order, isn't it? How can we make disciples of all nations? What is a disciple? Disciples, a follower. How do we make followers of Christ? We have to introduce people to Jesus. We have to help people meet Jesus so that they can learn to follow Jesus. If they don't know him, they can't follow him. But if they know him, they can follow. So we've got to introduce people to Jesus. Evangelism is part of that. We have to make disciples the largest part of what we do as believers should be to help people become followers of Christ and walk that path with them. Disciple. Teach them what it is. In fact, he explains it. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So we're to make disciples. We are to teach them to obey all of God's commands. And there's another section in the middle there, wasn't there? And baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means that baptism is part of the process. Part of being a follower of Jesus is we follow him in baptism. It is a way that we publicly declare to the world what God has done in our lives spiritually. And it is part of our obedience in following him is to be baptized. But he says to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let me explain why. As I understand it, and I've, I've done some reading and study on it, I'm, I'm by no means an expert on first century uh, Judeo-Roman world politics and law, but I understand it was Jewish tradition that if a item was purchased, say a parcel of land, that it would be common for the one selling and the one buying to go out to that parcel 
And when the deal was done, one of the last aspects would be for the um, person to declare the name of the new owner out loud over that parcel. What does that mean? Well, it means they're declaring their name out to show ownership over. If we're supposed to be baptized, our old self put to death, new life in Christ, and we're supposed to be baptized in such a way that we are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, whose ownership are we declaring over our lives? That's right. We're declaring we belong to God now. So our job as the church, our job as disciples, we call it the Great Commission, the marching orders given to us by Christ. When he says, I've got all authority in heaven and on earth to give this command, here's the command, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, there's no boundaries to it, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all I have commanded you. Those are our marching orders. So often in church life, we get into discussions over mission and vision, and we say, well, what's the purpose of the church? What should our mission be? I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Every Christ has the same mission. We just read it. Now, what's the vision well, the vision is, what does that mission look like lived out in this context, here, among these people? What's it look like when we do the mission? We can't waffle on the mission. It's the task. It is the job set before us. And he's got all authority in heaven and on earth to tell us, this is what I want you to be doing. You're my followers. This is what it looks like to follow me. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all I command. But then he gives an assurance. It's not just a command. He goes on. And he says in the last part of verse 20, And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Now, I think he's probably talking to all of us, not just people named Shirley. It's a joke. You guys need to lighten up. Yeah, he's saying, look, I've given you these orders. I've sent you out. I expect you to do this. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to be right there with you every step of the way. That always or even into the very end of the age means as long as you are going about doing this and as long as you are obeying my command... I'm going to be there. It doesn't come to an end. I'm with you. In fact, it's in him we find our strength. It's in him we find our security. When it becomes difficult, when it's uncomfortable, when it doesn't look like something we want to do because it's going to be awkward or it's going to set us at odds with folks, it's okay because he is with us. He will see us through. Now, I share all that to say that's the Great Commission, that's the marching orders, that's the mission. What are we to be doing as believers individually and as a church collectively? Where do we go and making disciples? First step of that is evangelism. 
Help them come to faith in Christ. But don't just have a person make a profession of faith and say, okay, good, that one's done. On to the next one. We are to be growing together. We are to be discipling and being discipled, growing in our faith and obedience to God. But there's another aspect to who we are as followers of Christ. Again, both individually and collectively. If you would, join me over in Mark chapter 12. In Mark chapter 12, I'm not going to go through all of it, but there's a whole lot going on here. Jesus has just had an interaction with the Sadducees and given them an answer that kind of put them in their place. And the Pharisees are all excited about it because the answer that he gave was one that the Pharisees liked. And so they were like, all right, he's, he's talking our language now. Let's, let's hit him with a question. And so they do. One of the teachers of the law comes up to him and asks him a question about what the greatest commandment is. Because Pharisees were all about commandments. I mean, they had the 600 plus laws of Moses and then a whole bunch more that they added because, you know, 600 plus isn't enough. You need more. And they were experts in the law. That was their thing. Wouldn't it have been wonderful had they been experts experts in following God? But they were experts in the law. And so they come to Jesus and they ask a question, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus gives them an answer. In chapter 12, and it helps if you put your bookmark in the right place, chapter 12, verse 29, in response to the question of all the commandments, which is the most important, Jesus says this, the most important one, answered Jesus, is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. There's the commandment. What's the greatest commandment? He starts quoting the Shema, Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O hear, Israel, the Lord your God is one. And I'm going to give you the the Scott paraphrase of that verse. Because what he says there is, you need to love God with everything you are and everything you have. That's what it is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love God with everything you are and everything you have. But Jesus didn't stop there. Now, I don't know if we can make the argument that Jesus was bad with math since it was through him everything was created. I think he's good at it. But obviously he has trouble sticking with one here. Maybe he's a Baptist preacher. The most important one answered Jesus. Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God. All your heart, soul, mind, strength. The second is this. In other words, the, 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 the additional part of it, the second part that ties in that you cannot separate the two, they go together. The second one is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. That one comes from Leviticus uh, 19.18 is where you find that love your neighbor as yourself. But what does it mean? It means that if we are going to have a right relationship with God and we are going to live lives that are obedient to him, following him, that has to spill over to the world around us. We have to love God with everything we are and everything we have, and we have to love the people around us too. 
and we don't get to pick and choose. Now you may say, Scott, you're, you're dealing with the great commission and the great commandment. I get it. But really, how do those go together? Remember who we're supposed to make disciples of? Go or as you go, as you go through your life in this world, interacting with the people you come across. Some of you are going because God is calling you to go to somewhere else. We're struggling right now. Is God calling us to go somewhere else, you know? But it's to go and make disciples of all nations. There's no boundaries there. We're called to make disciples of people. It's really hard to love people enough to genuinely share the gospel, to introduce them to Jesus, and then to walk with them as they grow in faith and grow with them as they grow in faith if you don't love them. Because I will guarantee you, it gets messy. Because we are sinners. We're redeemed. But it's still messy work. But God is calling each one of us as a follower of Christ to go and to make disciples, to love God with everything we are and everything we have, and to love the people around us without limit, without exception, without excuse. It's who we're called to be. And it is what we are called to do both as individual believers and collectively when we come together as the church, the expression of his presence in the community. It's a challenge for us. It is a challenge to us. But remember how it all started. I have all authority in heaven and on earth. Do this. And I'm going to be with you always, even to the very end. I'm there with you. This is never dependent on us and our power. It's dependent on Him and His promise and His power and His faithfulness. Can we live there? Do we live there? I give that to you as a challenge to encourage each one of you who knows Christ as Savior and Lord to today examine your heart and say, is that who I've been? Is that how I live? We live in a world that is so divided, so broken and messed up, and a world that longs for an alternative. Are we showing it something different? Are we loving God with everything and loving our neighbors as well and living out that great commission in the context of that love? It's what God's calling us to. And I'd be remiss if I just assumed that everyone in the room or everyone hearing knew Christ as Savior and Lord. The first step in living that kind of life is you have to know Him. If you're going to follow Christ, you need to know Him. The great thing is God gives us an invitation to know Him and to be known by Him. You see, Scripture is real clear and says that when we didn't care about God, when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that that's how God demonstrates his love for us. What's that mean? It means you may have never given God a second thought before right now. 
But understand, from the very beginning, God has desired a relationship with you. He loves you, and he did everything necessary to pay the price for your sin so that you could be made right with him. If you need to do that today, if you need to be right with God today, I want to encourage you, just turn to him in prayer. Use your own words, but in prayer with him, admit to him that you're a sinner, that you're guilty. Ask him to forgive you, believing he can and does. And then commit yourself to follow him. Let him be Lord in your life today. And you will begin to experience what it is to be a new creature, to be made new. And then let some believers around you know so we can walk with you and grow with you in your faith in Christ. Thank you for letting me share with you today.